0: You're listening to The Upland Rookie, a podcast presented by Upland Brits. Welcome to Episode 6 of The Upland Rookie Podcast. I'm your host, Will Larson and as always this is presented by Upland Brits. Now today I am joined by my buddy Cliff Enzor of Uplander Lifestyle. We get to take a deeper look kind of behind the curtain uh, of the man behind Uplander Lifestyle, putting out some incredible premium Upland clothing, uh, some really fun designs, t-shirts, hats, stickers, you name it. Cliff is doing it all. I love hearing his passion of, of why he started this and getting to know him and his dogs a little bit more. Fair warning, this is a Britney heavy episode. Cliff runs Britney's. I run Britney's. Um, so just wanted to warn you that we will definitely, definitely be talking about those Brits. But first, a word from our sponsor, Yukonuba. They created the new premium performance lineup to help unleash your dog's maximum potential. The all-new Yukonuba Premium Performance lineup features four different blends: the Sprint the exercise, the sport, and the work. Each formula is based on nutrient levels for energy that matches your dog's efforts. After all, a dog that's sprinting for two-minute bursts needs different fuel than a dog making its 60th retrieve of the day. Check them out and learn a whole lot more at Yukonubasportingdog.com. What's up rookies? How are you doing today? Welcome to episode six. Are you ready to jump in? Well, not just yet. Here in my garage studio, aka my workbench in my garage, uh, just editing some podcasts, getting this one out there uh, ready to release. Man, I'm not going to lie, I'm a little bit tired. I had a pretty busy weekend, but a fun weekend nonetheless. Um, First off, this past week, um, I had a bunch of just health stuff going on with my daughter. Um, She is doing really well. Um, She was able to come off oxygen a couple days ago, so I'm very excited about that. Um, yeah, couldn't, couldn't be more thrilled. Um, just the, the progress she's making. Um, so really, really excited. Um, then went, uh, Saturday went into my very first hunt test with my dog gauge. Um, I've never, ever done one of these before. I've never done a trial hunt test, uh, Navda, Nastra, you name it. I have not done any of those. Um, it was kind of in the back of my mind, whether to do one, um, honestly for a couple of years. Um, when I first got gauge, I looked into one and I was like, ah, maybe I should do this. And I was like, no, I'm I'm just going to be a hunter. I'm just going to hunt my dog. I don't need to do any of that. Well, I forget what the saying is, but when you eat crow or something, um, man, it was so fun. It was really, really fun. Um, I don't know if you've ever done a hunt test or a trial, um, but to be honest, I'm still figuring out and still learning all the differences of all these different trials and hunt tests and um, ways to work your dog there's a lot of different variations there's horseback trials walking trials um, NAVDA ability test uh, UT test, Nastra game um, so there's all these different things I'm still figuring out like what's the best direction for me um, I'm feeling right now like like hunt test and maybe some walking trials um, might be might be kind of where where I fit best with my dogs um, and just based on location as well um, there's some some hunt tests and some trials um, with some Brittany clubs there's some Vishla clubs all that um, that are f- fairly close to me. Um, so I just have to consider travel time and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, I don't know yet. There's a Navda chapter uh, chapter um, a little bit north of me. Yeah, I'm here up in Fort Collins. Um, so maybe I'll check that out. Who knows? Um, but we'll see as it goes along. Um, but quick recap just on the weekend um, for the hunt test. Now, this is a junior hunt test. Um, so this is pretty basic. It's, I think really like a natural ability test. Um, there's uh, four categories, um, hunting, um, trainability, use of nose, and one more that I will find, (laughs) I'll find a a scorecard. Um, so there's four categories that, um, the judges are basing your dog off of. So you go out in a brace and a brace is two dogs at the same time. Now, with a hunt test, you are not competing against the other dog. It is solely like a uh, a school test, uh, almost, that your dog is taking. So it has nothing to do with the other dog that's running with them. This is the judge looking at your dog, how they are hunting, how they're working the field, and judging them solely. So this is not a competition against other people sure it's fun to maybe find out some scores and see where you scored compared to other people but that is not the intention of the hunt test um so we get there on saturday and um kind of overcast there was a rain delay in the uh, early afternoon um so we had a run i think a schedule at 5:20 so it's pretty late um we got there a couple hours early um got gauge staked out on the chain got him some water relaxed Um, right before I got to the hunt test, I read somewhere and and this is actually, I do this with hunting. Actually. Um, I let my dogs out before I get to a hunting field. Generally speaking, um, if I can, if I have time, all that kind of stuff, I like my dogs to burn off that, that kind of nervous energy that, um, just let them, let them run, let them tear up a field without uh, pushing birds. Um, so I did that with gauge, um, before, um, we ran, I took him a ways down. There was actually some public land I found and just let him run, just put the, put the tracking collar on him and and let him go. Um, really just kind of loosened him up, let him, let him run so that when he got put down in the field to be judged, he was a little more under control. He already burned off some of that, that crazy, uh, bird dog energy. So, um, I don't know if that's an insider tip. That's just what I do. Uh, I don't know if you do that as well, but anyways, getting back to the hunt test. So, um, yeah, they, they call you up, um, when you are next, um, you get your dog ready. Um, you cannot use an e-collar. So AKC has approved tracking only collars that you can use. Um, so I did have a, a tracking only collar. Um, so through on gauge, I just, would I prefer to run on my dogs, um, I just always like to have a tracking device on them. Um, so you each, so each brace mate or each dog gets assigned a judge, and the judges are on horseback. Um, so I had a really nice judge. I think his name was Gary. I believe super nice guy. Um, he's like, hey, I haven't seen many Britneys out here lately. We, there used to be a ton back in the day. Um, you know, good looking dog. You know, blah blah blah. Um, so, so Gary was assigned to me, the other dog I was running with was a Vishla. um, so they kind of tell you the general direction of where we're going to walk in this, this huge field. They say, hey, we got birds kind of up in that general direction, and then we're going to kind of watch your dog as they work the rest of the field. So they kind of give you an idea of of where we're going, where we're headed. Um, so that could kind of help you steer your dog a little bit. so we took off and yeah, it was it was kind of just like a, a hunting feeling. Um there's some adrenaline pump in, there's some excitement there. And uh really, yeah, just got to you know watch Gage work and quarter uh back and forth really nicely. And um the Vishla that he was running with did really well as uh too. Um Gage had two nice bird finds. Um, you know, so as soon as he goes on point. Um, I just I yell point let's <laughs> make sure the judges see it can mark that and score that uh, that point and find he had um, and so yeah so we, we finished that run um, again he worked really well after he had two bird finds uh, the Vishla didn't have any yet um, so uh, Gary told me he's like hey just just kind of hold back um, or bring gauge over this area let's let, let the vishla kind of finish out see if uh, see if she can find anything um, so I kind of work gauge on the other side of the field, and um, then we finished up our run, and uh, they said, "Hey, we'll get you your your scores later," but um, all all good to go. So that was our run on Saturday. Um, we did ended up uh, we took off towards home. Um, Saturday night, we were going to camp, but just decided, hey, <laughs> let's let's just go sleep in our own bed. It was not that far of a drive. So um, we did hit a crazy storm. <laughs> it was a legit tornado uh, that touched down out here in eastern Colorado. And I got some cool pictures up on my social media. Um, if you go check uh, Upland Brits or the Upland Rookie podcast on Instagram, I think I put photos up there of the tornado is pretty intense. I've never driven through rain that heavy and wind uh, that intense before. So <laughs> a little bit of a white knuckle drive back home, but uh, everyone was safe. No one was was injured or anything like that. So um, it was all good. Now, Sunday we went back for two more runs of the hunt test and uh, it got canceled, <laughs> it got canceled. The roads first off were really, really slick. These dirt country roads. Um, the camper got stuck out there. They were slick and greasy as all heck. So, um, unfortunately they did cancel it when most people were already there, which is kind of a bummer, but it is what it is. Um, they just wanted to make sure everyone was safe. The other thing was wind was insane, probably 40, 45 mile an hour gust, um, maybe even more. Um, so you think about running dogs in senior or master, I mean, this is a high level, no one wants to be running a dog in 50-mile-an-hour in winds, so um, a little crazy. They called it off, um, so I guess the hindsight was I, I was able to pick up my ribbon on Sunday uh, before I took off, so um, hour and 40-minute drive for a ribbon, you know, <laughs> is it worth it? Maybe, <laughs> maybe, I'm not sure, but um, yeah, so so overall thoughts on the on the hunt test, if you've never done one, I would say do it. Do a trial, do a hunt test, do Navda, whatever it might be. Um, it it just lets you experience new things, lets you experience new environments with your dog, put your dog in new environments. Um, whether your dog's young or old, Gage is on the older side. and so he was running in juniors. and so, yeah, that's pretty basic stuff for him, but you know what? Um it was fun. It was fun for me to see, you know how a, an event runs like that. Um, and and the people. my gosh, um, everyone I met. Um, I knew a couple people uh, that were at the event prior, so that was nice to have some familiar connections. But um, every other person I was talking to, um, again, this is a, a Vishla club, so a lot of Vishla owners, there's a couple Brits, a couple Weimarimers, all that. Um, but every person I talked to, I've never met before, and we just started striking up conversations on, on bird dogs and, and hunt tests and you know where you're from and all that good stuff. So a ton of fun just meeting new people, um, getting a new experience. The other thing I was going to say is, um, uh, again, again, I am primarily a uh, a hunter with hunting dogs. This option, I think, is a great option just to extend the season and to also test your dog. Um, As I go through the years and I'll I'll add more dogs and these dogs will pass and I'll I'll have more dogs, I'd kind of like to see how how my personal dogs stack up against each other. I'd like to see, hey, well, Gage did really well in this event and Gunner did well here and this dog... So on and so on. Um, so I think it's a, a fun way for you to be able to um, test your own dogs, compare, see you know what abilities, traits that they carry and that they have, um, so that you know what you're looking for maybe in a future dog. So that's one thing. The second is I'm no expert on this. I'm still, still figuring it out. Um, talking to uh, uh, my. Uh, Jeff, my mentor last night, actually, after the trial, we were, we were talking about trials more and, and he was like, oh, you should come out to a trial next. And, and so there's a lot of, of options. Um, I am definitely going to um, dedicate an episode or two to hunt test trials just to understand this whole environment more. I know it can be kind of confusing for people um, if you're new, if you're even not new um, I've been hunting for for four or so years and I'm still <laughs> trying to figure out all the differences and all the rules and all that so um, I'm gonna get some some guys on here that really know this space really well um, uh, on all ends I know some guys who are really passionate about NAVDA and have great experience there and I know some guys in the trial world horseback trial walking trials you name it so look forward to a fun future episode coming there well Should I do a listener question? I'll do a listener question. Let's do it. Um, Blaine writes in. Well, Blaine writes in, what do I need to know before bringing a new puppy home? Well, Blaine, thank you so much for writing in. And first off, if anyone has a question, please email me at uplandbrits at gmail.com or message me on Instagram at the Upland Rookie Podcast. Would love to get your question on the podcast. So Blaine, great, great question. Um, I know there's a lot surrounding this. Um, I'll try to go through this fairly quickly, but um, I'll kind of break it down to maybe three or four things. Um, first off, a kennel. Get a kennel that is, you're not gonna have to buy another one is what I'm saying. Get a good quality kennel. a um, Big piece of advice I would have with kennel is um, get, a, get the kennel size that your dog is gonna be when they're full grown, but then break that kennel in half when that is a puppy pups do not like to potty and sleep in the same space so if you have a huge kennel and this puppy's laying in there well they're gonna go take a pee in the back corner and then come sleep in the front corner it's gonna make potty training i think a lot trickier Um, i have have been very diligent i'll take a box or an ammo can and again just block off the back half of that kennel And it it really, I think has helped with potty training quite a bit. I know Dakota has something called the forever insert. Um, so if you have a Dakota, um, G three medium, they have an insert that you can adjust and and get kind of micro adjustability, um, making this kennel smaller, bigger as your pup grows. So really good option if you pick up a Dakota, um, if not just use again, a box, uh, um, anything to make that kennel smaller, but get a good quality one. Um, don't get a, a cheap $50 kennel that's two-piece going to break You know, if you drop this thing. Um, and it's an investment. It's part of the dog cost. Um, I know it's ex- they're expensive, but um, I think it's going to make... It, it's safer. It's going to last. You're not going to have to think about it ever again. Nutrition. Um, yeah, just make sure you have a good quality food. Um, I think I heard someone say... What you put in is what you're going to get out. If you put in crap in your dog, well, (laughs) yeah, you're going to get crap out anyways, but you know what I mean. Um, we're talking about high-performance bird dogs, um, you're going to want to invest in a good quality food. Um, I fed Gunnar Eukanuba puppy, and I just made sure to ask the breeder um, to give me a little bit of what they were feeding him. Um, when i brought him home so i made that transition really gradual Um, so i would give him most of what the breeder was feeding then i would add in a little Yukanuba puppy Um, you do that over several weeks just to help their stomach adjust to the new formula and then after three or four weeks um, gunner was was totally on the the puppy Um, so whatever food you're going to get get a good quality one and get some of the food that the breeder's feeding to help transition that puppy um, toys or lack thereof. Don't go crazy on the toys. I'm kind of in between. Some people are, Hey, no toys for my dog. That's going to ruin my bird dog. Some people are like, eh, all dogs need to have toys. Um, I'm somewhere in between. Just don't go crazy. Um, toys with squeakers can be kind of annoying. Um, that pup's going to learn to, when they chomp down on that toy pheasant and they get a squeak, well then when they get a real pheasant, they're going to I've heard this. I don't think I've experienced it really, but just be careful of too many toys, um, especially with squeakers. It, it can That dog's going to grow up and, and think, oh, let me chomp down on this pheasant and see if I can get a squeak out. So um, I don't have a lot to back that up, but it's kind of what I hear. But also with toys, um, bumpers, I'll get some some bumpers from Cabela's or Gun Dog Supply or something simple um, that they can can use for retrieving, just for fun. Um, it leads into my next thing: is just have fun, <laughs> low pressure with this puppy. Um, there's so many you're gonna get so much advice and opinions going into bringing a new pup home. Um, just have fun. Um, I've said this before, but let the puppy be a puppy. Just enjoy the experience. Um, last thing is leash and collars. That's kind of an obvious. You know, get a get a leash, get a collar. Um, I like the the. I forget what they're called. It's like a D ring collar um, or a safety collar on, on gundogsupply.com. Um, they obviously get a puppy collar, but then as they get bigger, I get one with a, a name plate on it. Um, and It has this, this circular loop um, on the collar as well look it up i think it's called a safety collar they come in all sorts of colors um those are the ones i run on my dog really enjoy them great great quality um these kennel or these collars are going to outlast my dogs i'm pretty sure um so check those out with the uh the nameplate i actually put i don't even put my name on their nameplate actually um and it's like a little name name tag on the collar um i actually put two phone numbers my wife's number and my number our state and just our general area. I think I I think I said Highlands Ranch, Colorado. Maybe, yeah. So my caller's Highlands Ranch, Colorado. Um, no address. Sorry, no address. So I have my name, uh, Highlands Ranch, Colorado, and then two phone numbers. Address isn't going to really be helpful. I think just put your city and then a couple phone numbers. That's the best way for people to get a hold of you if they pick up your dog and your dog is lost. So. Anyways, I hope that's helpful. Blaine, again, thank you for writing in. I really appreciate it. Now, I know this uh, opening has been longer than some, um, but we're going to jump right into the episode with Cliff Enzor. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Take care. Cliff, uh, put us put us on a map. Uh, where, where are you talking to us from today? And uh, just tell us a little bit about who you are.
1: Okay. So I will literally put us on a map here. So if you take your... Uh, <laughs> Makeshift Michigan map as uh, your little hand here. Uh, you come off the Thumb Thumb area region and straight to the west of that. We're probably just below the central part of the state. Um, if you're if anyone's familiar with Flint area, we're just north to east of there, probably twenty minutes to a half hour.
0: Very nice. Have you? Did you grow up there? Or?
1: Um, I grew up south of here, probably about an hour south of where I currently live right now. Very nice. Um, and I just kind of, my wife and I ended up in this area just kind of through work and just odd opportunity throughout the years.
0: Okay. Very cool, man. Um, how was this past season for you uh, hunting? Do you get out uh, as much as you'd like to? Yeah. Um,
1: I guess I, I, I probably didn't get out as much as i like to because for me, it would be, I'd be out there almost every single day if I could. But I'm, yeah, for, with for the most part, um, spent plenty of time in the field, a lot of good lot of good days out there. Um, Whether they're good or bad, you you can't complain. I think sometimes I take things a little too serious, so to say. um, And I find myself at times not enjoying it as much as I I should, unfortunately. It's kind of a bad habit that I have um, that I try and break. Uh, But regardless, it's always always fun being out there. Um, I just get a little too worked up over some of the minor things for For some reason, for sometimes, but regardless, it's always a good time to be out there with friends, family, and the dogs, of course, and just being, being away from everything. And that's what makes it so enjoyable. It's just being out there, being away from everything that's going on in your daily routine of your life.
0: Absolutely, man. Now, I'm glad you said that. I, I, we might be similar in that way. Um, I do most of my hunting solo, just me and the dogs. And, uh, I, am constantly finding myself just kind of picking apart every, every little aspect of, of the hunt, of, of the trip of the dogs, myself, Mm -hmm. Um, not to mention my poor shooting, (laughs) but, uh, but I I think I'm trying to try to push myself forward. And, and, uh, I was talking with a buddy the other day, even if my dog gets on a bird, that's kind of like in my mind, like that's, that's my one goal for a hunt right now is Mm -hmm. as long as my dog gets, gets a little bit of bird work in, um, does fairly well. That's, I can call that a, call that a good day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's some of those days where you're, you're down in the bottom of the ninth inning, it seems like, and you've been striking out all day and dog's been working good, but you just haven't had opportunity for whatever reason. And then finally it comes together at the end and you, you know, your dog gets on a bird and you're like, all right, yep, I'll take yep.
0: it. That's, yeah. That's worth it. Right it. There. <laughs> the, the, for me, you know, two, three hour drive was worth it. So uh-huh. are you, uh speaking of that, how close are you to, to bird cover there? Are you driving a couple hours or can you be on, on birds pretty, pretty quick?
1: Yeah. So for the most part, I do have to drive, uh, to get where I hunt. Um, I guess I am blessed by opportunity in the state that I live in to hunt, to have the options and places to be able to go and hunt and have good days of hunting. Um, it's something I think I sometimes take for granted, especially when you look at some of the other States in the the Midwest, like, you know, you look at Ohio or Indiana where in Indiana recently, rough grouse was listed on the endangered species. And it's like, man, we're just one state up from that. And, you know, I can travel two hours north and be in prime habitat and be moving birds all day long and having a, a good day out there with the dogs and at least getting some shot opportunities. Um, so normally I drive, I would say an hour and a half. I could be in the bird territory, but for the most part, usually where I start hunting is it's kind of that two, two and a half hour uh, from where I live.
0: Okay. That's, that's not bad at all to be in, to be in rough grouse cover. (laughs) That's pretty awesome. Um, I've never hunted rough grouse. Um, is that kind of your primary bird you're chasing out there?
1: Yeah. Grouse and grouse and woodcock for sure. Um, there is some hot spots in the state where you can pheasant hunt. Um, but it's, it's very limited and it's few and far between. It's definitely not like grouse hunting where grouse hunting, you can go, you get past the, the, the mid section of the state, probably an hour north of from where I live and you can find pretty much from east to west across the entire state, a place to hunt grouse and woodcock, uh, pheasant hunting. It's just kind of now more or less limited to some hot pockets here, or there, where there just happens to be a splash of habitat mixed in on some, some ground that's gotcha. available to hunt to people. Okay. But yeah. As far as grouse and woodcock going hunting, um, <clears throat> yeah, we have almost unlimited options to be able to go th- hunt throughout the state and that's what makes our state so special, especially when you look at the amount of public land that's available to people. Um, and I've said this before about our state, you know, if you're an outdoorsman, honestly, from my opinion, there's, there's not a better place to be than in Michigan right here. So whether you want to be, you want to go deer hunting, you know, we have a really big deer hunting heritage in our state. Yeah.
0: I've Um, heard a lot about the whitetail there. (laughs) Yes.
1: And then, so even if you're an up, then if you're an upland hunter, you have basically the whole Northern two thirds of the state, um, are the lower peninsula and the upper peninsula included to be able to go and chase rough grouse and woodcock um we have so many you know we have millions of acres of public land available to us so you don't have to be a landowner or somebody that has you know access right down the road from you to be able to go hunt you can travel spread out yeah find different really places to nice. hunt and explore yep
0: that's really nice i i find myself um I, again i've never hunted in michigan but i'll at nighttime I'll I'll go through Onyx and just start picking random states and looking through their their oh, yeah. uh, yep. public yep. land access. It's it's pretty cool. Michigan definitely has uh, definitely has some acres.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we also have, you know, the Great Lakes surrounded by. So if, you know, you're somebody that's into fishing, you can go salmon fishing, walleye fishing. Um, I'm talking, you know, world-class fisheries available right in our backyard here. If you want to go camping, um, side-by-side riding, snowmobile riding in the winter, all these trail systems set up in the northern part of the state. So, you know, if you're a person that's in the outdoors, this is the, the state to be. Oh, and, sure. I've always, and it's something I've kind of taken for granted a little bit, but now that I've, I see it for what it is it, it's, it's really special to be able to have all that available in our backyard here in Michigan.
0: Absolutely, man. Wow. You're, you're a pro Michigan. It makes me want to, <laughs> makes me want to get up there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, man, uh, I am, yeah, uh, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and so we'd go up to Wisconsin a lot, um, ATV, fish, all that kind of stuff. And yep. it, was, it was beautiful. Uh, when I was younger, we didn't, I wasn't really into hunting then. Um, but I look back now and I'm like, man, that was so close to Wisconsin. I could have, could have got out there a little bit more, but, um, all right. Oh, I was going to ask about, uh, okay. So woodcock and rough grouse, um, everything I've seen again, just hunting videos, whatever it might be. Are you, is it like, I mean, super tight cover you're kind of pushing your way through, like can barely get a shot and get the gun up swung around is, or is it, is it different than that? Cause my, no, you, per, my perception is very tight, heavy cover.
1: No, you're, you're right on the money. That's, that's exactly
0: what it is. At. Okay. Um,
1: close quarter combat, I guess if that's what you want to call it. <laughs> well put. So yeah, you're hunting in, um, young forest growth. Um, so places that have saplings that are growing in uh, heavy brush, a lot of undergrowth as well coming in and it's, it's really tight. It's close. Um, some of the spots seem impenetrable to, to get to when you're looking at it from a distance and you're about to walk in, but yeah, that's, that's it. So if you're going to grouse hunt, you better be ready to, as my, my, my wife calls it when I take her get dragged through sticks.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well put, (laughs) well put. Um, so Cliff, something I've been asking, uh, some of the guests on this, uh, this podcast is just tell me a little bit about, um, how'd you get into hunting? Now, my guess is you grew up in Michigan. It sounds like you've been doing it for a while. Um, but kind of a twofold question. Tell us a little bit about like your upbringing. W- were you in a hunting family? And then two, I mean, if you have any kids, like how are you helping pass that along, uh, uh, to your, to your kids?
1: Yeah. So I was born and raised into a family that hunts. My dad has been a big outdoorsman ever since I can remember. I was always going on growing up through school, I was going deer hunting on Friday nights instead of going to football games. Um, so that's, it's uh, whether I was fishing, um, or hunting, whether I was turkey, deer, upland hunting with my dad, uh, that's just kind of the, 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 the thing that my dad and I shared in common that we did together growing up. And my dad has definitely been a huge proponent of what got me into, where I'm at now and the lifestyle that it's evolved into is just being an outdoorsman, hunting, fishing, and just spending time outdoors at every opportunity that I have.
0: That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Do you, do you have kids right now? I do not have kids. Oh, well, have kids. Okay.
1: I guess, let me take it back. I have three dogs. So <laughs> okay, okay, I consider them my kids right now. So how
0: are you passing on the hunting tradition? No. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty, pretty easy. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's, it's, it's cool to see, uh, just everyone's background and, and a lot of people like myself, uh, we grew up fishing and outdoors, but I didn't Uh see hunting until I was later. Um, so it's just kind of fun to see everyone's story and and their unique, uh, upbringing with, uh, with hunting and, and bird dogs. So.
1: Yeah, I guess you could consider me, you know, pretty cliche for a lot of people in the industry that hunt, you know, you grow up hunting, but you know, there's, there's a lot of that outside of it. And it, it, sometimes we kind of get sucked into that vacuum of thinking, you know, that's the only way that you can be an outdoorsman or go hunting or be into that type of stuff is by growing up doing it. And it's, you know, it's far from the truth, you know, for, for example. So I look at my own family and kind of the, how it's spider webbed out a little bit. So my dad's side of the family, he comes from, he has, uh, two other brothers and a sister as well. And my grandpa, his dad. Was a big hunter and he would always take them out as kids hunting and stuff. But for whatever reason, my dad was the only one that carried it on. And so my uncles and my aunt didn't get involved with hunting at all. Um, And then I have multiple cousins on that side of the family as well that they didn't, they were never introduced from hunting as well. But they knew kind of from our past, you know, our, our past history of our family, you know, that hunting was, you know, sort of a thing. They see me out sure. hunting and stuff. And I've actually been able to introduce a couple of them to hunting and taking them out uh, hunting with me. So, you know, they've, they've been open to it and it's not just something that you have to grow up doing. To that's be, that's to really, be into it.
0: that's really well said, man. No, I, I, I meet a lot of people who like, Hey, I want to try this. I want to get into it, but I, I didn't, I didn't grow up doing it. So yeah, I, I think that's a really good point of, you don't have to be. Case in point for myself, <laughs> you don't have to, to be out there since you were, uh, since you were a kid. So, um, while we're talking about hunting, um, are you primarily, are you hunting hunting Michigan? Have you done any trips out West or, or South, uh, chasing birds or are you sticking around uh, home pretty close? Not
1: as far as bird hunting. Um, I haven't traveled outside of our state to, to bird hunt. Um, I have been out of state on other hunts and other trips and stuff, but as far as bird hunting go, Nope. This is, this has been it. And I, part of it, I kind of blame on the opportunity that we have in our state. I haven't felt like I've, (laughs) no, it's just
0: too good. Yeah, exactly.
1: You know, everything that I could want to do to spend a day hunting outside of, you know, going chasing sage grouse or, um, sharp tails or huns, things like that, that you have more in the the Western States. Um, but we do have a trip planned to Montana this year in September. So that's going to be really fun.
0: Nice. I I might see you out there then. <laughs> right on. I'm I'm nailing down dates right now still, but uh, I'm thinking like maybe the 3rd uh 3rd week of September I'll be out there. Okay.
1: Yep. So, yep.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I've never been before and uh I've I've been toying with a lot of different dates and and states to hunt and uh kind of nailed down Montana. I want to hit that up, so.
1: Yeah, Montana just sounds like I guess the Mecca for whatever you wanted to hunt.
0: There's yeah, Pretty much. <laughs>
1: There's so much vast, vast, different, you know, habitats and, you know, different style of hunting than we're used to seeing here. Um, it seems like you can go and if you wanted to hunt sharptail one day and go spend two, three days and hit it hard. And yeah. if you wanted to take a gamble at trying to get a sage grouse, there's the opportunity at least to do it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. My, uh, yeah. Sage grouse is definitely on the list. I was thinking about, uh, cause I have to go through, I'm in Colorado. I have to go through Wyoming, uh, maybe trying to hit Wyoming on the way up for sage grouse, and then I don't know. We're still making lots of <laughs> lots of plans. It's hard to hard oh. to decide. Yep, so, I hear you. That's awesome, man. Um, okay, we can't ignore this anymore. You run Britneys. <laughs> yeah, yes. you are my kind of guy. Um, it's going to come up sooner or later. I'm trying to be diverse. I'm trying to get other people with other breeds of dogs. I, I've said it. I love all bird dogs. I am just partial <laughs> to the Britneys. <laughs> Yep, um, the Same way. Okay. Okay. Nothing against other dogs. I interviewed my buddy, Matt the other day. He runs GSPs. They're fantastic dogs. Um, but Brittany's are, are where it's at for me. Um, talk about your Brits, man. You got some great looking dogs. Um, yeah, just, just tell us a little bit about them.
1: Um, Well, yeah, I guess, you know, first off, thanks for the compliment on them being great dogs. I, I hold them to a high standard and sometimes my, my standard probably is a little too high, but we always train for, we always train for a hundred percent, even though it's not always, you can't expect a hundred percent all the time out of a dog. Um, but yes, I do have, I have three Britneys. I have two livers and one orange dog. Now
0: uh, I've kind of been known. That's right. I saw, I saw that you picked up the orange one. What a couple months ago or last yeah, year? the day,
1: day after Christmas, she came Okay.
0: Home to us. Nice. So I guess
1: if you want to call her our, our Christmas present, dog,
0: <laughs> there you go. Did you intentionally go orange or did it just happened? That was the litter
1: yeah that was just that was just the liver okay. or the the litter it was uh, all orange dogs um, gotcha. but I'm not I'm not partial to col- color even though the livers do hold a special place in my heart and I do really enjoy the look of the liver dogs.
0: yeah those are nice um,
1: but I'm in it for more of you know the lines and the dog that I'm looking for rather than just the color.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Always, always what they say, pick the parents, not the, not the puppy or pick the yeah, litter, not the yep. puppy. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Firm, uh, firm believer in that. Um, so talk about training a little bit. I mean, from your social media, at least, um, it looks like you're, you're training quite a bit. You're working on retrieve stuff. You're working on steadiness, all that kind of stuff. Um, just talk about your, your kind of your method, what you do, um, especially in the off season.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, right now coming out of hunting season especially with the pup we've just been focusing on a lot of house manners with the dogs because it's it's a big it's a big step going from even two to three dogs you know now it's not just one dog with another one that's kind of tagging along it's it's three of them it's a whole different dynamic it basically becomes a pack of dogs in the house and they all feed off of each other it's not just one dog with another one kind of bouncing off what the other one does or following it around it's you know three dogs one wants to go over here one wants to do this another wants to do something else so a lot of obedience in the house and house manners is what we're trying to focus on um i wish i would have spent a little bit more time doing it with the first dog that we got we did it a little bit more on the second one but not as much as we should have but now with the three dogs in the house we saw that, you know, there's definitely a need to put a lot more emphasis on that with the dogs and controlling them, you know, a lot of place training, um, and a lot of obedience work inside the house and it's, it's coming along, you know, they're all doing, they're all, we doing really good. Actually, they're, they're right here. With I was right going to say, hospital. I think
0: I saw one of them over your shoulder.
1: Yeah. So there's Yeti here. Uh, he's over my shoulder. Yeti is, he'll be four in July and then down over here. I don't know if I can get him or not.
0: Uh, oh yeah, I see one. Oh, and there's a pup.
1: Yep. Yep. So you got, um, Aspen who's the orange dog there. And then Ember, the the other looker dog that she's next to.
0: Okay. That no, they look awesome, man. I was actually just going to ask you if you you mentioned place training, I was going to ask you if you're using like a, a dog bed or those raised, those raised ones. I haven't done place training yet, but it's been something that I've we have a two right now and and talking about a third. And so it's been something I've been interested in more of of Uh, place training. So
1: yeah, the place training it's, it's honestly been a a game changer with all three of the dogs. Um, So I don't look at place training as necessarily like just training to go on a bed. It's wherever I tell the dog to go. So if I want you in this corner of the room, you're going to go over and stay in that corner of the room and stay there until I release you. Or if the only place that you have available to go right now is up on the sofa, and that's the only place I can put you to stay calm for the moment, I'm going to put you on the sofa and you're going to stay there until you're told to, to be released or move again. That's awesome. Um, so right now we do have a couple raised beds. Um, we're with the, the younger dog we've been working on place training since the day she came home, basically, and kind of molding her into that uh, free shaping form of staying on a bed and being rewarded for staying on the bed. But, and she's been great with it. She's been really easy to do because we've been molding her and conditioning her from the start to do that. But the other two dogs, you know, they, we didn't necessarily do that as much. They kind of had a little bit more free reign. If, they wanted to go lay on the sofa or go, you know, sit in front of the door or something like that on their own accord, they were allowed to do that because we didn't put the emphasis on it. So they've been a little bit more of a challenge to break. Um, They get a little antsy after being on the bed for a little bit, but uh, for the most part, everybody's doing pretty good. I mean, it
0: looks like it's working right now. (laughs) Yeti over your, over your shoulders. Yeah. uh, Doing real good. Um, couple, a couple, I actually have a lot more questions, questions on these dogs. Um, are any of them related at all?
1: Yes. yes. So Yeti here over my shoulder, he is, he's, um, like I said, he's going on four years old. And then the newest dog that we got, actually, we had an opportunity to get her from, um, not the same exact breeding, but she comes from the same bitch as Yeti. Okay. So she's, she's half parent, um, that Yeti
0: has the oh, very Cool. Very cool. That's awesome. Um, and then the name. So it sounds like you want some outdoor names. You got Ember, Aspen. Is that, is that kind yeah. of a, a theme you do or?
1: Yeah, a little bit of the outdoor theme, just because I've always considered myself a person that's always been really involved with the outdoors. And I was just really hoping for dogs that would be love the outdoors as much as I did. So that's kind of where the mindset of the names, you know, if I can name a dog that relates something to the outdoors, hopefully they'll love being outside. As as much as I do.
0: Oh sure, absolutely, man. That's cool. Yeah, I'm always curious on on people's story behind their names and and if they have multiple dogs on, kind of carrying themes across. So that's that's pretty cool, man. Um, I was gonna ask. So I know we talked about um, you know, we're picking the parents of a pup. We are, you know, looking at the litter, the line uh, as a whole. Um, but you specifically, I mean, you've you've picked out three dogs now. Um, you could have had more in the past. Uh, what are you looking for um, when you are selecting a breeding? So so what are you looking at in a puppy? Um, when you're picking them at, you know, say six, seven weeks old, but also in, in the bloodlines, what are some of the things that are important to you in selecting a new dog?
1: So I guess that brings me to the point of Britney's in general is the first thing I'm always looking for is, um, and it kind of fits my style of hunting is dogs that are a little bit on the smaller side. Um, I, I, and typically Britneys are, I mean, every once in a while, you'll see a, a freak of a dog that's 60 to 75 pounds. And you're looking at it and like, what is that? That thing looks like a boulder with legs. <laughs> How is that a Brittany? But for the, the most part, I like dogs that are, are smaller um, for two reasons. They work out really well in the house. And they also seem to have a little bit more of a st- stamina better stamina than some of the bigger dogs that I've seen run that seem to make it, you know, an hour or two and they get worn down pretty fast. You know, the smaller dogs seem to have a little bit more of a stamina and can last a little bit longer. And then when you get inside the the breed of Britneys, then I kind of look at it a little bit closer as is, okay, I don't want a dog that's big and bulky because some Brits that you'll find are really jacked looking. Um, There's, there's a difference between um, jacked and toned. I guess so That's to say. A good point. So, uh, to put it into reference, there's. Um, I've been fortunate to go on, you know, a lot of hunts out west and do a lot of travel to a lot of different places and speak with a lot of different guides. And uh, every mountain guide that I've ever talked to has said. Yeah, it's it's really funny when all the guys that come out here, you know, big, strong, muscular dudes. They're all jacked up. They're big. They're in shape, obviously, but they're overall they're built, they're bulky and muscular. Yeah. So they think that just from that as- aspect, they're going to be able to race up the mountain and <laughs> nope, get up it's there. it's not going to no happen.
0: Not going to yeah, happen. Yeah. So,
1: so, and all the guides that you ever see that are on the mountain are, you know, lengthy. They're they're skinny, not a huge build, and yeah, they'll, they might not win in a fight versus a guy like that, but they'll make it up the mountain a hell of a lot faster and s- still be able to go that get to that second half of the mountain. Then the guy Absolutely. that all of a sudden gets up there and he's like, holy crap, what did I get myself into? I'm going too fast. I got to slow down. So I like dogs that can run for a long time and have the size to be able to help them out to run for a long time. So once you get, I, I pick from that that's the kind of style I like. Yeah. Then I look at it from kind of where I'm picking my dogs from is I like dogs that have a lot of go to them. So I typically look towards some of the more of the field trial lines. They don't necessarily have to be a big running dog, a dog that's going to range out three, four 500 yards, but a dog that's going to be able to have a lot of go in it, a lot of energy, be really jacked up, move really fast, have a really good gait to it and not be like a, a clunky, clumbersome dog moving around in the field. So that's kind of the style that I look for in dogs.
0: That's Awesome, man. That's really good. Are you, when you, when you talk about size, I mean, again, we know Brittany's average range, are you looking at, does that come into play when you're looking at parents of saying, Hey, I want one or both of the parents on the little smaller side?
1: Yeah. So I guess it doesn't necessarily have to be both. I look at more of usually the build of the dog. I like dogs that have a really trimmed athletic look to them. They're a little lengthier to them, not necessarily a bigger, bulkier dog. So if and, if, and I
0: will, I will say that's, that's pretty true. Looking at, I'm actually I have your Instagram up right now. I'm looking at your dogs They are, They look a little taller, but, but very slim. Yep. So yep. I, kind of, I kind of see what you're talking about.
1: Yep. And those, the smaller dogs also, they, they they seem to be a little bit more nimble in the field. Um, I, I probably, what I'm aiming for overall is a, a Brittany. That's probably a little bit taller than most Brittany's out there or what you would think for yeah. the standard. But I kind of yeah. like that little bit of extra length on them. Um, as long as they're not like a big bulky, wide sure. or, or heavy build dog.
0: Yeah. No, that makes that makes perfect sense. I uh, uh you know when I'm hunting in, in warmer weather, I, I can it makes a big difference. If you have a slim toned dog who's also conditioned, that's important yep. too. But um it's uh, they can get around a little bit easier. They're they're carrying their weight a little bit better than a say a 50, 60, 70 pound whatever breed it is. Yeah, so.
1: and especially for where I hunt too, you know, we talked about it being tight. Close quarter style hunting where dogs are ducking and diving in and out of heavy cover. You know, it d- doesn't have to be a dog that feels like it needs to bulldoze through everything. It can kind of be a little bit more nimble on its feet and kind of maneuver around things instead of just trying to crash through everything that it comes across.
0: Absolutely. Do you, by chance, do you know, are any of your dogs from uh, uh, the Nolan's Last Bullet line?
1: Uh, yeah, actually, um, Nolan's last bullet is in all three of my dogs. And I think nice. you could, you could, there's probably not many Britneys out there nowadays that you Without it. To somehow trace back to, uh, that bullet dog.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know it's, it's in my, uh, it's in my American for sure. And it's just, I know I've been doing a little more reading and kind of research on, on that line and, and Nolan's last bullet and it's, it's an incredible dog for sure. Yep. Yep. Are you, are you doing any field trials? Uh, have you got into that at all? Yeah, I did. Um, I did with Yeti for about a year
1: and a half. I ran him actually in Nastra, which is the same game that uh, Nolan's Last Bullet played with um, for for that dog. Um, so obviously, Nolan's Last Bullet was the most winnest, winningest dog in the, the game of Nastra ever, which mm-hmm. so if you're not familiar with Nastra, Nastra is, stands for National Shoot to Retrieve Association. And basically, it's a 30-minute brace where you – Take one handler with one dog and another handler with their dog and you brace them together. Um, and usually a field that's about the uh, anywhere from 20 to 40 acres size, they plant five birds out there, and you basically you have 30 minutes to go out and find your birds. And whoever comes away with the most bird finds in the that 30 minutes wins the brace. So they judge the the dog based on
0: they're competing head to head then.
1: Yes, Wow. Yeah, the I didn't dog, know that part. Yeah. So it's your dog versus the other dog. And also you as a handler versus the other handler in the field. Wow. Um, So it it gets pretty competitive um, and it takes a lot. It takes a dog with a lot of go and it it doesn't have to be a dog that runs the biggest. Um, A lot of people, this is where I kind of got off track from the game a little bit because what you find is a lot of people train their dogs to play that game to a T. So they usually plant the birds in the four corners of the field. So let's say your, your field is a big square rectangle. Mm -hmm. They'll plant one bird in each corner of the field for the most part. Sometimes they change up a little bit. They'll maybe they'll do it in a diamond shape instead of a, a rectangle shape where they plant the birds, but there's five birds planted. Usually they'll put one in each corner of the field and then drop a bird in the middle of the field as your fifth bird, as your bonus. So what a lot of his people, handler,
0: you can go any direction you want to start. Correct. Could, okay.
1: Yep. Yep. You can, if you want to take off and, and go this way and your, your, your opponent goes the other day way, that's totally fine. Or if you want to run neck and neck with your bracemate, you can do that too and run your dog right alongside him as well. Um, it's, it's really just how you see the field and how you want to play it, depending on where your, your opponent's going. So, and what happens with a lot of these guys that are really into it, is they will train their dog to play that game to a tee. So they'll, they will spend the time training their dogs to run basically in a circle around that field, because you can uh, train, you can train a dog to do anything. Sure. You, you can train a dog to pattern how you want. You can train yeah. a dog to, to run any pattern, run a field, however you want. And so a lot of people will train a dog to run that one circle around a field and there's your f- four birds. So you would, and they plant the birds with quads as well. And it's really, sure. it's really interesting seeing this happen is when the dog figures out how to trail the quad. Oh,
0: just trail the, the where the quad was. Oh, yes.
1: So you could literally, if you wanted to play the game, you, and you had the right tools and setups to do to be able to master it, you could set a dog on a stakeout and you could take off from a quad zip down one side of a field, have the dog visibly watch you on the quad, sure go plant the bird and then run that dog straight down that line. And eventually it's going to start associating. It's it's going to pick up.
0: No, I just, I'm just going to smell this, these tire tracks and the the gas.
1: (laughs) Yep. So sometimes you'll see a dog go out there and it burns through five birds in under 10 minutes. And it's like, what in the world did I just watch? What just happened? That dog just took off from the gate and knew exactly what it was doing and where it was going. Um, and that's kind of where it's a fun game to play And it's, it's, you know, the competitive side of it is, can be fun, but at the same time, you know, you, you can't always compete with guys that are, you know, have the resources to be able to strictly.
0: Sure. Really, really hone in in and train, train for that. Have you, have you tried anything else besides nasture or just, just toyed with that a little bit?
1: No, just that, um, I have done a few like fun hunt tests here and there, but outside of that, not, not a whole lot, just usually training my own dogs.
0: Okay. And with nasture, they are they are scoring for retrieve. Is that right?
1: Yes. Yep. Okay. Yep. They, they do judge on the retrieve.
0: Okay. How, um, so how's that with your, with your personal dogs right now? Uh, have they all been pretty natural? Have you had to force break any of them? What's that process been like?
1: Yeah. So I guess my, my process has kind of evolved from the first dog to the third dog where I'm at now. Um, the, my approach to training now is just more or less conditioning the dog so anytime the dog does something whether it's right or wrong the dog is being conditioned to do that so if the dog can conti- everybody says that dog training is about repetition so in order to to achieve that though to to get the right repetition the dog has to be to be conditioned to do the correct thing over and over and over or else you're just spinning your wheels For example, if your dog goes on point and you're constantly, you know, telling it, whoa, or picking it back up and putting it back in where it's, where it needs to be, your dog is being conditioned to do that behavior. That's just kind of how I look at it. So with the first dog, I kind of used a little bit more force, whereas, okay, if you don't want to do this, we had some fun doing it, but now you want to do other things. Well, I'm just going to make you do it. And in a sense, it took some of that fun and that drive out of it where I wish I hadn't done that so much, where I would have just conditioned the fun part of it. Mm. So that's what I've been working on with the other two. And Ember's been Ember's been a natural retriever from the start. She nice. loves, um, and and so I've got, I'll, I guess I'll give some more context back on my dogs here. So Yeti is our oldest dog, he's four years old. Then we have Ember who is a year and three, four months now. And then we have Aspen who's five and a half months. So Ember from the start, uh, has been a really natural, uh, retrieving dog, but it's something that I've kind of instilled and, and molded her into wanting that behavior out of her to be able to go out and and keep constantly doing retrieve after retrieve. Like that's been her reward. That's been her fun part. Her, that, of the that's game.
0: what mo- helps motivate her.
1: Yup. Yup. Exactly. And I use her if I'm, if I'm trying to teach her something new, I often use her, her her drive to retrieve as her reward to be That's able to, smart. Do to do that new task that I'm trying to teach her.
0: That's awesome. Um, yeah. My so gauge, he, as a, as a, so he's my older four, uh, four year old or almost four year old Brit. Um, he was not okay. sorry. As a puppy, he loved retrieving for the first few months. Like I was like, this is awesome. He's like, he's going to mm-hmm. be a natural retriever. And then maybe like six, seven months. I don't know if I just, I did it too much with him. It just became kind of boring almost. Um, but then he after that, he he just showed no interest in in retrieving live or birds, bumpers, whatever. Um, so during during lockdown, COVID, all that, I did a uh, force break in myself. And it it's it's still not a hundred percent on birds, but like bumpers and all that, like he's great on those. And so I just gotta work now on on transitioning that consistent yard work to consistent bird work now. And so that's, that's kind of our goal for this year. Yep. Yep. Um, th- tell me about, so it's not many people you meet with three dogs. <laughs> most, most guys are having one, maybe two. Um, are you, I know you just got your third going into this season. Are you going to try to hunt all three together? It, are you, are you the mindset that you like to keep them fresh and rotate them out?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, fresh and rotating them out. There are probably there'll be some times where I'm gonna be like, all right, let's just let's go out and have some let's, fun for yep. an hour. I'm put gonna, them all I'm down and go. Yep, I'm gonna put you all on the on the ground here, and let's just see what happens. Let's go out and have a good time and hunt together. But for the most part, it'll be rotating dogs in and out. Um, especially on longer weekends or longer trips, where it's nice to have that dog power. Um, you know, I there was this year with Ember. Um, being in the mix last season, um, there was a few times where I noticed it really helped paying off or rotating dogs. So last, last, uh, September through January, Ember was seven months old through, uh, almost a year old. She turned a year in January. So basically from her seven month old to a year is when her hunting season started. And all I did for the summer was gun breaker. Um, Introduced her to a couple birds. She was, she's, she was steady. She showed that she knew how to point a bird. So once I realized that on planted birds, I said, all right, this is good. You know what you're doing. You like birds. You can point. I'm taking you off of planted birds before you figure out the game too much. And I'm going to start, and I'm just going to run you on wild birds the rest of the season, but we're not going to have any expectations. I'm not going to hold you to a standard or anything like that, I'm just going to drop you on the ground. I know you like birds and just see what you do. And just my mentality with her was you're going to go out there and you're going to hopefully find a few and just learn to work with me and cover and start to figure out how to find birds. And that was my biggest expectation with her, but she was still a young puppy. So she had a lot of puppy with her. And so I didn't, I probably ran her maybe 25% of the time. So if I hit, if I hit four spots throughout the day, I ran her at one, maybe the occasional two times, gotcha, and I was still running Yeti the other times, but I noticed that out of the times that I was rotating between the two of them a little bit more, Yeti would come out with a fresh pair of legs at the end of the day and he'd be like, all right, let's go, buddy. Let's go find something. And we would usually have a really good end of the day hunt.
0: That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's going to be so, so Gunner, my, my younger French Brit, this will be his first season coming up here. And, and I'm just, yeah, I'm just so curious on, uh, again, he, I got him in September this past season. So he was super young, mm-hmm. uh, during hunting season. So I'm always curious of what that's going to be like, really get two out there, get them working together, but also getting those dogs rotated, uh, keeping them, keeping them fresh is the key.
1: Yep, yeah. I, I remember seeing you had a couple a couple posts and videos and pictures of him where you actually had him out on some trips and you fly yeah. along in the kennel with you. Yep. <laughs> that's that's cool, man.
0: Totally. Just just getting him used. And he's I I think that really helped him turn into a, a really well uh well mannered dog in the kennel, traveling, all that stuff. So it it wasn't a wash, it was it was teaching him something.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly it. You don't have to have expectations of hunting. So to say for you, the first year, your dog, your expectations should be, you know, staying calm in the kennel, learning to be able to have a collar put on you on the back of the tailgate and stay calm and composed in situations like that. Yeah. Um, And those, you know, dragging a check cord around for the first year, those are all things that you should have expectations of your dog to, to be able to realize and learn instead of just going out and finding and pointing every bird it comes across because that's not reality. Sure. If you can get the dog into the field a little bit, at least get it some the, the biggest thing I think is just getting the dog used to working with you
0: yeah in the well, there's there's so many more aspects to yeah, the actual hunt uh you're living with this dog, your dog's traveling with you it's there's all these little there's all these things with, with a dog that, that come with this, that it's not just about the hunting and pointing and, and finding the birds. Yep. Um, so these dogs have to learn how to, to be well-mannered in all different situations. Um, you know, not just the, not just the time we put them down the field. Yeah. Um,
1: especially. So if, if you want to look at like, you know, where I hunt in Michigan back to being tight, you know, nasty stuff where you don't have the most visibility, that's a big learning curve for the dog is learning how to navigate with you through those woods. So I've seen a lot of people come up and hunt with me that their dog hasn't been introduced to that before. It can have excellent recall, um, whether you're in the yard or out in an open area, but then you take a dog like that and you drop it down in the woods like that, where it runs 40, 50 yards out and it can't physically see you anymore. And it's now all of a sudden, you know, things get a little echoey in the woods, you know, dogs get turned around and all of a sudden your dog is two, 300 yards out and people are standing there standing going, Oh geez, what do I do? My dog's never done this before. It's yeah. a learning curve for the dog to be able to learn how to navigate those woods with a handler. And yeah. that's, that's a big thing you can't overlook.
0: Absolutely. I think you said in the beginning of this episode of, of dogs are always learning something constantly. And, and we got to, take advantage of, of all sorts of opportunities. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, anyone listening out there who, uh, let's say they just picked up their first bird dog, uh, this spring or maybe this summer, maybe they're just getting into to hunting. Um, wh- what's some advice you would give someone picking up their first bird dog, uh, approaching, uh, their, their possible first season coming up?
1: Have fun. That's it. That's why you get the dog, right? Is to have fun.
0: Very well said. That's
1: that's really about it, especially first year with a dog. No expectations other than just have some simple manners and be able to be mindful of you. But other than that, have fun. Don't go, don't get frustrated, don't get mad, don't get down on yourself because you see other people going out there and you know they're flashing puppies that are pointing birds at, you know, 15 weeks old. And then you're sitting here with a a five-month-old dog and your your dog runs in on a bird and blows it up, and you're going well, what, what the heck is wrong? I'm, I'm seeing all this other stuff and you know, my yeah. dog should be pointing too. And you can't put it, you can't put a timeline on a dog. So just go out there and have fun with it. That's oh, the big thing. Everything don't will come.
0: put a timeline. I might title the episode. Don't put a timeline on a dog. <laughs> <laughs> that, that can't be uh, that cannot be overstated. Um, all right, brother, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about this Uplander lifestyle. Um, first off, I got to say, you put out some killer, uh, designs, um, your, your dog breed series, some of your shirts, your stickers, all that good stuff. Are you doing this design work yourself?
1: Yeah, all of it is done. I do it all myself. It is
0: incredible. Well done.
1: Everything thanks, man. I, I appreciate that a lot.
0: Very well done. Um, so for those that don't know what is Uplander lifestyle, give us an overview.
1: So Uplander is basically um, we're I guess first and foremost now I don't like I don't like calling this exactly what it is, but at this point in time, I guess it is what it is. We do um, design and sell apparel. Um, and I don't want to sound like a salesman because that's <laughs> not what I've ever wanted the brand to be looked at as is just somebody that's trying to hustle and sell product. But we do sell um, apparel that's designed around for people that are really into upland hunting. So uh, we make stuff that are for, you know, I look at it as this way apparel is a big part of people and who they are because you're, you're wearing something if you're going to wear something, you're going to want to wear something that represents you. I mean, look at me, I'm wearing a a camo vest right now. It's (laughs) obviously because I'm an outdoors person. So people that were big in upland hunting, I felt like they didn't have that many good options to choose from. And there was nothing that was really in that space. And when I was started getting back into upland hunting more over the last, you know, half dozen years, and just looking at the industry, the industries felt very outdated so to say and whether this was how media was being portrayed in the industry um, or things were or companies were trying to get their messaging across every just everything just felt outdated and so I guess even to back up and build on that a little bit more So I've worked in the outdoor industry my entire career so um, I primarily work in the big game industry for my day job but if you look at um, like the whitetail industry, I want to say it's probably five to six years trend wise behind everything else out in the modern day market. And then you look at waterfall, it's probably another eight years behind everything. And then you get to upland hunting and it's like way back there. It's like, and I'm not, and I'm not saying that upland hunting should change in the sense of of what it is at the root of it, because there's always going to upland hunting is always going to be about the birds and the dogs. That is 100% of the focus of that. And that's, that's the timeless part of it. Mm, That's never going to change whether it's 2050 or it was 1952. That part of it's never going to change, but what can change is our messaging, how we promote the sport, um, how we're trying to draw people in. And I looked at the industry and said, how can I How can I help somehow? And my, I'm not some person that is, you know, going to sit here and give people expert advice on training their dog or, um, how to become a better upland hunter or things you should be looking for out in the field, because I'm shit, I'm still a novice at all that stuff. But what I, what my background enables me to do is to be able to create things that represent people that, um, people can connect with and, things that people can wear and be proud to, to wear that is who they are as upland hunters. So that's how I looked at it and said, I know my strong shoot is in marketing. It's in design. How can I combine that into upland hunting to help keep pushing this industry forward? And from there, Uplander lifestyle was born and evolved into what it is now. And In doing so, I wanted to also, you know, turn that back in to be able to promote our sport and give back in ways. So, you know, for example, you know, it was a big part of, you know, from the start, being able to take, you know, a percentage of each sale and give it back to conservation. I was was just going
0: to ask you about that. I think that was so cool. You you posted something about that maybe a couple of weeks ago. Um, That I I love that. I think that's such a cool uh, model to have and, and build that into your brand.
1: Yeah. Cause it's, it's from my perspective, working in the outdoor industry, my entire life, you look at all these companies that are founded by pretty much. Okay. Every, every company out there is for the most part in the outdoor space is founded by people that are hunters or enjoy doing that type of work. And everybody likes to sit there and say, well, geez, hunters are a dying breed. How do we change this? And, and you have all these companies out there, not saying that, all of them are like this but how can you look at it and say if if everybody knows that our sport is dying somehow how can you just sit there and try and make money off of it and not do anything about it
0: absolutely oh, well like said
1: a big eye opening part from what i've experienced in the outdoor industry is outside of you know pitman robertson act there's nothing else that these companies are doing to try and give back or get you know new faces involved with it they're just selling their product and that's sure. about it sure so i wanted to do it was kind of at an odd point in my career where um the company that i worked for was in the middle of this a sale um the company i worked for was being sold off to another entity that our, our new buyers were purchasing it and i was just looking at it it's like man there has to be more than this of just starting a company and building it up and selling it and Mm -hmm. that be it. So how can, what can I do to create something that, you know, can resonate people, but it also gives, allows me an opportunity to give back in one way or another and also promote our sport. Absolutely. That's how I kind of found myself into what I'm doing now with Uplander.
0: That's awesome, man. Are you primarily working with like Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, BHA? What are some of the organizations you're, you're working with to give back?
1: Yeah, so um, definitely Pheasants Forever, Rough Grouse Society. Um, like for e- example, there's um, in our state right now, we just donated you know, um, a sum of money to a, a project that's going on to improve habitat for woodcock in the southern part of our state. So being, being a part of things like that is actually a pretty cool and and special thing, uh, to me. And so we, we, we do things like that within our own state. And then also just making, um, donations, uh, a blank donation to pheasants forever or quail forever, our rough grouse society. Um, there's a couple smaller organizations every once in a while that, um, somebody will jot down. Like for, for instance, I just had an order today where somebody um, they included where they wanted to have their 2% of their sale donated to was uh, a bird dog or a GSP rescue site in Texas. Oh, wow. So yeah, we give the, we give the customer the freedom to be restating. Oh, that's who they awesome. Want, I didn't know that. Yeah, who they want it donated to. So it's not just inclusive to Pheasants Forever or Rough Grouse or, that is or whoever. Really it's cool. whatever nonprofit organization you want.
0: Wow. That's awesome, man. Bravo. What's, uh, what's the best, I guess, best-selling, uh, bird dog shirts you're, you're doing right now. You got, you got, uh, you got a few different breeds on there. Short hair. Sure. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was, uh, I was just listening to, uh, I think it was on the wings, uh, podcast recently and they're doing that bird dogs for habitat campaign. Yep. The dang GSPs, man, they're, they're leading the charge right now.
1: Yep. Yep. For sure. I think, but, I, um, think I-, I
0: think Brittany's were in third, He said so.
1: Yeah. Yep. Uh, so usually it kind of goes GSPs, then labs, and then Britneys. And I think the the Pheasants Forever, probably that little voting thing that's going on right now probably represents that to a T, you know, how the, the kind of the structures of the breeds break up. Um, but it just, I think GSPs are, they're a really hip popular dog right now. Um, outside of just people that are are bird hunters, just people that maybe have a little bit more of an active lifestyle. They're just a really popular breed right now. Overall. Do do you think Um, that's,
0: that's pretty new though? Or do you think that's been going on for a while?
1: I think it's probably been going on for a while. And I think as, as far as if you look at, and I think if you look at how different hunting zones break up, um, and the amount of people that spend, the amount of time hunting birds, I would say probably pheasants are at the top of the list. Yeah. And I think GSPs or short hairs has been a little bit more known for as your, your, your pheasant dogs in our country. Sure. And then if you want to, you know, make another comparison to rough grouse, you know, it's always, Oh, if, if you're grouse hunting, you have to have, you got to be hunting with a setter, you know?
0: Oh, sure. It's yeah. Different, different bird species are, are kind of attracting, different dog breeds.
1: Yeah. Yup. Yup.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's funny how that works. Um, yeah, my neighbor, uh, right across the st- street from me, very active young couple, they just got a GSP uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's so kind of funny. You mentioned that, but, and they don't hunt, I mean, they don't hunt at all. And the dog's pointing in the front yard. And, uh, I was talking to the guy, <laughs> the guy one day, He's like, yeah, my dog does this like thing where he like, kind of like lifts a leg and it's like, (laughs) I'm like, kind of like like he's pointing something. He's like, yeah. I was like, yeah, well they, they do that. He's a bird dog and it's it's in their instinct. And he's like, oh, 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 cool. I I didn't really know that. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're killing me.
1: Yeah, you didn't even know what you were getting into. Hailing At least you me. Could have
0: known. I know. Come on, I know. I uh, well, as soon as they brought the puppy home, I, I ran over. I'm like, oh, "Are you hunting?" And he's like, "Oh no." <laughs> like, <laughs> oh man! All right, I got a lot of work to do. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, there's an opportunity. If
0: opportunity. You I will. Something. I will make yep. it a goal to get him in the field. Yep. Put it. Put his dog on the ground. Um. Sorry, I was. Just, I was just keep scrolling through your Instagram. Um. Good photos, by the way. You do Thanks some nice, uh, nice photos with your with your stuff and your dogs, and and I really enjoy that. Um, all right, brother. Uh, wrapping up here. Um, I've been going through some uh, some rapid fire questions. Um, so it was a couple a couple questions, short, short or long answer. I'm not I'm not picky. So <laughs> we'll uh, we'll go from here. Uh, what gun are you carrying out into the field, and why?
1: Um, I shoot a 12 gauge uh, Weatherby. Um semi. Okay. And uh,
0: (laughs) you're smiling. You're smiling.
1: uh, The the purists out there would probably frown upon me for shooting a 12 gauge a little bit, but at the Uh, end of the day, I really don't care because it's more pellets in the air and it's, I shoot the gun good. And it's just, it's just, it's a versatile gun. I guess you could say that about a 20 gauge as well, but I just, I don't know, for whatever reason, I've always enjoyed.
0: Sorry to cut you off. The real, the thing you said there, that's important is you shoot it well. Yes. that's that's the most important thing
1: i guess i i kind of i laugh at sometimes at people that are like oh if you're gonna have a truck you gotta have a v8 in it with you know 500 horsepower no. but i'm kind of like that no. with my 12 gauge i guess in a sense because i'm like well if you're gonna shoot a shotgun you might as well have a 12 gauge oh
0: my gosh <laughs> what is wrong with people there's this uh there's some a guy at this hunt club i go to and I think it was right after my, my first season with gauge. Um, I was kind of telling him about my, my first season and we did. Okay. Found some birds and he's like, Oh, well, that's because you gotta have a, you gotta have a flushing dog. You got mm-hmm. that You can't, you can't hunt pheasant with a, with a pointer. I'm like, I'm pretty new to this. I'm, I got all down on myself. I'm like, Oh shit. <laughs> did, I, did I pick up the wrong dog? <laughs> and, uh, but no, no, you can still do it. You can hunt pheasant, whatever you want with, it with, pretty much any dog. Uh, So so don't let those people get to you. Um, Okay. If not a Brittany, what's your second favorite dog breed?
1: Oh, man. (laughs) I don't, I'm not familiar with this breed and I've actually never seen one work, but I've always had my eye on uh, a Munsterlander. And I think it's because there's a little bit of a comparison probably between the liver Britneys that I have and you're that attracted dog. to
0: those liver, man.
1: Yes. That's <laughs> I, yeah, I like There's a the
0: theme. Them. There's a theme here. But,
1: um, but man, it, I would probably have to go with that as my answer. I'd probably be interested to see what some of those dogs could do. Um, it might not be your typical dog that a lot of people would say, if I'm getting a hunting dog, I'm going to get a small Munsterlander. lander. Sure. But I, I don't know. I'm, I'm somebody that usually for whatever reason, doesn't go with the trends is like, Oh, I'm going to get a short hair because sure. you know, that's just what, you know, they're apparently a good pheasant hunting dog and that's just what I'm going to do.
0: That's so, yeah, it would probably be. Okay. That's a good choice, man. I, I, uh, I, a, couple, I, a couple of those out there.
1: I, and maybe if it wasn't that, and I almost feel dirty for saying this, don't say it, don't maybe say I'll go with a pointer just no. because we're talking, we're talking English pointer, right? Yes, they're known for their athleticism. I'll
0: applaud you for that.
1: They're yes, they're known for their athleticism, athleticism and their their drive and want and desire to find birds.
0: They are and and they are stylish, and I dig
1: that. And I dig that about bird dog. And apparently that's what pointers are all about. And I've seen a lot of them run, and that's what I like about them. That's but I don't like tails, and I don't like dogs that are so jacked up crazy like that, so to say, not that there's not, that they're not biteable or trainable. It's just, my style is just a little bit more on the Britney side.
0: That tail is a big deal for me. Yeah. That's a big deal. Uh, favorite bird species to hunt grouse,
1: rough grouse.
0: rough grouse. Okay. Rough no. grouse. Got it. Um, how many species of birds have you shot over your dogs?
1: Three okay. grouse, pheasant, woodcock. That's been it. I mean, I guess I've shot some chucker at preserves and oh, sure, sure, sure. I I count those. I've shot quail during training
0: as well. Oh, so we're up to five now.
1: I guess so. That (laughs)
0: absolutely. Okay, all right. We're up to five. I count the preserve birds. Okay, and if you want to throw in
1: a pigeon too,
0: definitely count pigeons. (laughs) God, my dogs have had too many pigeons shot over them. (laughs) Um, (laughs) last question. Favorite uh, beverage of choice after a hunt.
1: Um. A Labatt's.
0: Labatt's. Labatt's blue?
1: Yes, Labatt's okay. blue. I
0: think I've yep. only had that once.
1: Yep. It's more of a, a northern Midwest thing. Like, okay. you go outside of Michigan or, you know, Minnesota or Wisconsin, and nobody really knows what it does. So, I, you know, I've gone down <laughs> to, like, Kentucky for a few work expos before, and they just look at it you know, like they have no idea what you're talking about. So, it's, it's more of a, a niche here in the, the northern Midwestern states. So, yeah, that's, that's usually the beer that I drink.
0: All right, man. Good choice. Well, Cliff, uh, this has been a blast, man. Thank you so much, uh, for your time tonight. Just, uh, just chatting about your Britneys and Uplander lifestyle. Um, if people have questions or they want to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that?
1: Oh, just hit me up right on Instagram. So Uplander underscore lifestyle. Um, just shoot me a message, comment, anything, you know, I usually try and do my best to getting back with people, um, just for out of the aspect of respect, because I've been in positions where I've sent people message or notes before. And I'm like, dude, at least you could acknowledge it right back. So <laughs> it's, like I like
0: always... I, it's like, I know you've seen it. I know you yeah. saw the message. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you on that. Well, um, well, thank you very much, everyone. Check out, uh, Uplander lifestyle again, Cliff puts out some great photos, great apparel. Uh, I've been loving all your, uh, all your design. So keep up the great work, Cliff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it, man. Good talking to you. And thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. always well. like
1: talking about Britney's. Oh, now I know. Like,
0: <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs>
1: I'll never take an opportunity not to.
0: Yeah. You, I mean, honestly, I I'm, I might be like 10 episodes in of, of recording episodes and, I think maybe only you're the second Britney person, maybe. Uh huh. I think I'm doing okay with with uh, yeah. diversifying. So. Yep, that's Let's try, cool. trying try not to shove Britney's down everyone's throat. <laughs> Even though they are the best dog. Come on now. Yep,
1: there you go. I'm
0: gonna get a bunch of hate mail, but all right, Cliff. Uh, I'm gonna end this recording, and then uh, we will take off here. Well, that is a wrap of episode six for the Upland Rookie podcast. Thank you once again for choosing to join me on this episode. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Cliff Enzor. Hope the Brittany talk wasn't too much for some of you. Sometimes that is going to happen when you get two people who are passionate about the same breed of dog. I've said it before and I will say it again. I truly love and appreciate every bird dog breed out there. They each have their own unique qualities and abilities that make them unique and special for so many people. So no matter what what breed you choose to run, um, there is no wrong breed of dog to hunt with, as long as it gets you outside. Well, once again, please share, rate, and review this episode. Share it with your friends or family members, coworkers, or your hunting buddies. Help get the word out there and leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts if you can. would really, really appreciate that. Well, remember, if you're not lucky enough to hunt with or own a Brittany, any bird dog is better than no bird dog. Go put some miles on those boots. Until next week, take care. That's it.